0: There's so much noise and chaos in our lives today. We're bombarded with mixed messages, quick fixes, and distorted realities. They're all wonderful stories. Some are true. Many are not. Bullshit. No one can give you all the right answers, but imagine if there were a place that you could go to find the truth, where an expert can help you find the right questions, the questions to discover your own truth, well... If you're after a good and honest story, this podcast won't disappoint. Hi, I'm David Kenny, and this is Sanity Check. In 25 years of business, I know that hiring people Launching products, allocating capital, selling and managing yourself is no mean feat. We don't tell you what to do. Instead, we put you in front of the right people, ask them the right questions so that you can find the answers you need. We are here for you. It's time to Sanity Check. Okay, guys, well, uh, welcome to another Sanity Check podcast. And today, we are particularly excited. We have the absolute infamous, uh, sometimes referred to as a godfather of growth hacking. Uh, he is, where do you even start to introduce this guy? Uh, and, and probably just to do justice to the rest of the interview, so he fit all the stuff he's done in, uh, we're going to do a fast five. So Sean Ellis, he's a very creative dude, like he's, he's an author. In fact, one of my favourite books, I've read it three times, go buy this, it's very good hacking growth. Uh, he's also a podcast producer. He's got his own podcast called The Breakout Growth Podcast. He's an angel investor. Uh, he's also been the head of marketing for uh, Dropbox, Eventbrite. His own company, Kuala Roos, had marquee customers like Amazon, Intuit and Uber. And what I dig even more is uh, he's also a, a girl soccer coach, like a fun fact. Uh, so amazing, amazing, so where do we start with, um, with Sean? Like probably, obviously, you, you want to hear about growths, but I might just ask the first question, Sean, because we know we're going to talk about growth today, but what are you focused on right now and why?
1: So my, my main focus right now is uh, called gopractice.io, and it is it, it aligns with my passion that I've had for a long time, which is how the heck do you teach this thing called growth or growth hacking? and I, I've I've done everything from, you know, the book that you showed to video courses. And to be honest, every day I talk to somebody who's like, man, I read the book, I've taken courses and I'm still struggling with this. And so I think I I found the holy grail for teaching growth, which is actually using a simulator, kind of like a, a flight simulator, how pilots learn, you know, (laughs) when in in wartime soldiers do, or, or prepare for wartime with like, uh, like fighting simulators, medical doctors use medical simulators. So this is really just a simulator for going through the process of building a company and a product and growing that product. So everything from, you know, does anyone like this product? So it's, it's built on top of data where you can actually track their behavior, see, see what's happening in this imaginary world of this uh, product that you're launching, and then communicating with colleagues and uh, it's, it's, it's essentially, it's everything that you would go through in real life, except that you can make mistakes and not have huge multi-million dollar consequences and career ending type things, but you can learn from those mistakes and, and get a lot better at growth. So that's, that's what I'm focused on these days. And I'm super excited about it.
0: So it sounds like you've got Sean Ellis in your pocket here, guys, go check it out. Um, so, um, so obviously we're going to talk about growth, a growth hacking. It's an expression you framed, I can, I mean, unless you've been living under a rock, maybe you haven't heard of this or even seen this book, but um, uh, Sean, can you tell us a bit about what it is as well? Just to, just to lay the groundwork a little bit for us.
1: Sure. So for anyone who's done online marketing, they're going to recognize that uh, testing and measuring and iteration is a really important part of online marketing. But for anyone who has had, Customers who have a really hard time converting after you bring them to the site as a marketer, you'll recognize that uh, growth is a lot more dependent than just on bringing people to the front door of a website. So growth hacking is using that same test learned process, but doing it across all parts of the customer journey. So how do you acquire, how do you convert? How do you get them to an experience where they actually wanna come back more often? How do you build that engagement and that habit? And how do you get them to refer other people? monetize so essentially it goes beyond what most typical marketers have the authority to do to something that uh, touches the the product team the engineering team and it's just rapid iteration to learn how the heck to accelerate growth of a product and get people getting a lot of value in uh, from from experiencing that product.
0: so the the questions you ask yourself um, because the quality of the questions is really gonna it's really the inputs so what are the sort of questions you're asking yourself when you go into a company or is, and you're trying to work out, okay, well, how do they hit this, you know, elusive growth?
1: So if that's a question that I would ask as I go into a company. I mean, probably the first question that I would ask is, um, do they actually have any growth? <laughs> and uh, especially in the startup world, because everybody's kind of killing it till the day they they close the door on the business. So. Um, that's a yeah the first thing that I'm looking at is do they actually have growth so I would I would want to actually be able to see uh, reports and data and sometimes even that data can be misleading because you can look at reports that show we have a whole bunch of registrations and or maybe even active users are growing like crazy but if they're spending tens of millions of dollars to drive active users that are generating a small fraction of that that's not at least that's not sustainable growth. So some of the really important numbers to look at would be like retention cohorts. So for, if I bring in a hundred customers or hundred users on a product two months later, how many are still using it? Um, or I can even sometimes shortcut because they may not have those metrics in place. I can just ask, give me a list of people who are using your product. And I, I'd like to either through a survey or talking to them, ask them, is this product important to them? Or even one one way that I've worded it, that's been really helpful for me is how would you feel if you could no longer use this product? And if they tell me I'd be kind of disappointed, then there's a good chance they're going to stop using the product. So I'll give you an example of one company that I went and worked with in the really early days, um, a mobile app called lookout. I went there and I had committed to, working with them for six months to kind of go through a, a go-to-market approach. They had the first product out there. They had some, some users on it, but it was kind of pre-scale for the business. They had just raised their first money. And I went in there and I ran that survey I mentioned, and it came back as only 7% of the users said they'd be very disappointed without the product. And I thought, gosh, why, why didn't I ask that question before I committed to six months? But we got it to 40% in two weeks. And what we did was we just asked those 7%, What's the primary benefit that you get from this product? And we found that those 7% were focused on just one of the key attributes of the product. And it was an app that had kind of multiple apps in one. And so all we did was we repositioned around that core benefit to build a promise of what this product's going to do for you based on what users told us it was doing for them. So it was just kind of crowdsourcing that. Six months later, it was up to 60% of all users said they'd be very disappointed without the product. And I think it, it hit the billion dollar valuation on a, on a fundraising round, at least it was reported in the press at a billion dollar valuation within about two years of that business. And so I'd be, I'm, I'm generally really focused on who says they'd be very disappointed without this product. And are there lots of people that say that? Then that's probably real growth and then looking at the data as well. So those those would be the things that I would hone in on to see if there's real growth in the business or not.
0: Excellent. I hope everyone was taking notes for that. That was awesome. How do you, uh, in in an early stage company, because I know you've been in lots of companies from zero to IPO, uh, how do you uh, balance all of the resource requirements? How do you, you know, are there arguments with, engineering saying we need more engineers. We need to work on product more. We need to have more money spent and allocated for growth. You know, uh, what, how does that all fit together in the real world?
1: Yeah. So it's a, it's a challenging question. I mean, obviously there, there's always a resource constraint, even if you're, even if you're a fortune 500 company, there's a resource constraint to some level. And so, but in, in startups, it's a, it's a hyper resource constraint. And so, you know, some of the things that I talked about already that, you know, trying to scale a product that hasn't been validated to solve the problem that you set out to solve, that's going to waste a lot of resources. You know, scaling requires suddenly I need customer support, I need, I need a billing system, I need kind of all the operations around scaling. So part of resource management there is just figuring out what truly matters to us right now and let's, let's focus on those things. And so a lot of times in the early days, it's we need to bring enough new people in to experience this product and we need to make the product good enough. So maybe you're not gonna have the best designer in the world, but you, but, but you wanna have it be good enough on the design. The engineering needs to work for the 400 people that you have coming in right now, but you don't need a system that's gonna scale to 50 million people because there's a good chance you're not going to make it that far. So it's all about just validating that, that initial solution. So I think at any given point, the, the right decision on what do we focus our resources on is, is going to be different. Eventually, eventually, I, I think you, you are still, even in, your, in a massive scale mode for a business, you might be saying, um, I'll give you an example from, from Log Me In, I initially went out and tried to grow that business. We were, we were the early days. I I was spending about $10,000 a month and the majority of new people who signed up for the product never once used it. So 95% of the people didn't use it. So I'm getting pressure from my CEO to spend more money as long as it needs to be profitable spending. So I need a positive return on investment, but he wants me to spend six figures per month and I can only spend $10,000 but once we implemented the data you know the tracking systems i could i could look at it and say oh my gosh this is why i can't grow this business and so then it turned out you know my my goal when i saw that people weren't using the product was maybe i could work with one person on the product team and we could try to get that first user experience a little better and and maybe get a doubling of the sign up to usage rate but to our ceo's credit he said Right now, what matters more than anything else is to get that first user experience right. So he took every single engineer, everybody on the product team, and said, you're going to focus on the first user experience. He also told my team, stop trying to build channels. You're also going to focus on the first user experience. And so all of you are going to come together, try to understand what's going on, run tests there until we can get it to a point where enough people are actually experiencing the product and not just signing up for it. In three months with that focus, we got about a 1,000% improvement in the sign-up to usage rate just by running a lot of research, a lot of conversations with customers, and then a ton of testing through there. And as soon as we did that, as soon as we improved the sign-up to usage rate, that was the big inflection point in the business. So at that point, we um, I went back, tried the same channels on the marketing that I had previously scaled to $10,000. Now they scaled to a million dollars a month. And those paid marketing channels only accounted for about 20% of our new users. Most of the rest of them were coming in through word of mouth from people who had a great experience with the product. So just getting that whole machine working was about taking all of the resources and focusing them on what really mattered for us at that moment.
0: Hey, can I take you back to something I can tell you're super pumped about which is gopractice.io, right? With all the things you've learned, where where did you start with that? And did you start thinking a little bit about ideal customer? It's a really interesting
1: question. So I'll go backwards a little bit. I didn't actually conceive of the product. It was Ah. conceived by my partner on the project, who's a former data scientist from Facebook. And he brought it to me and said, hey, I launched this thing in Russia. It's working great. I have 5,000 plus users on the product and just on the russian market of people had gone through the simulator and he wanted to launch in the english language markets and he wanted me to basically help him enhance the product based on my insights. so he was more product and data and i was more marketing and growth and so together we came and we rebuilt the product for for the english speaking markets and one of the first questions i asked him was who is this for and you know we agreed that the you know the ideal customers for the product are going to be it's fairly broad range so it's it's marketing data and product project management or product management and the the thinking there is that to be good at marketing data or product management today you actually need to be good at all three and so you you can no longer work in the little silo that you used to work in so that was from from actual user type it was pretty broad. And then from the company type, it was, you know, is it, is it enterprise? Is it consumer? Is it mobile apps? So the story is actually built around a mobile app. But I, I honestly think that probably anybody in a growth role, even up to enterprise, is going to get a lot of benefit from it. But the sweet spot would clearly be consumers where you're dealing with a lot of data. It's, you're, you're in the simulation. You're conceptualizing Experiments, you're using Amplitude to run queries to see if those experiments work well. You're using those same queries to figure out where to experiment. And it's, you know, the, the closer your situation is to growing a consumer mobile app, the, the easier it's going to be to translate how that fits to your business. So, the one thing that we're doing to try to bridge that a little bit better is we're having a weekly call with the first cohort of users. We'll see if we continue it after that but with the first cohort of users where we'll review chapters with them and then, and then actually help them think about how do I apply this in B2B? How do I apply these lessons in, in some of these other areas? And we've, that was a big part of what I was doing in my updates was trying to bridge it to a lot of other industries because I know sometimes people have trouble connecting it. But you know the principles of growth are really the same across all businesses. If you're solving a problem that doesn't matter, the solution doesn't matter once you have the right solution for the right problem, then it's about how do I figure out the right people who are going to use this product and love this product and keep using it? And what is the way that I attract and get them into an experience where they love it? Why do they love it? How do I build messaging around that? All of those things are, are, whether you're doing B2B or B2C, are gonna be pretty similar. You're gonna probably have slightly different channels and more touch points in B2B or enterprise sales where you now have a customer success team and maybe a sales team, but it's still all with the mindset of I don't know a lot going into it and I don't know it until I prove it through through testing, experimentation, and data.
0: So, I mean, you basically, I think this is the way I've read, read this and listened to you there is that this is a great product for what I'm calling almost wartime. We're really in this dramatic period that no one's ever experienced and we're, we're not sure where the world's going we're not sure about capital allocation and and availability etc so you know helping people um, understand what to do with less resources it seems to me like this product could really be really a good fit for that
1: and i think there's some some actually pretty good sort of theoretical information out there today mm. to, to sort of all, all the things that i've been talking about so whether it's in the book Hacking Growth that that we wrote, or a number of other books out there, this, this idea that you have kind of a customer development process that gets you to product market fit. And then you, you dial that in and you don't scale until you, until you have that. Um, I think the challenge is, is that you, you can't kind of learn on the theory. It's, it's the practice of yeah. running lots of queries to figuring out the right questions to ask of your data system, pulling out that information based on that information, making the right decisions. And it's this iterative process that actually takes a lot of practice to dial in. And when you're in wartime, you can figure out some of it. And, and really up until this point, the only way to really learn this stuff was through experience. And fortunately, you know, go practice. The idea with that is that you you get the experience without the risk of you know a multi-million dollar failure or career risks if you make mistakes. And you actually have built-in kind of virtual mentors in the product to tell you where you're making good choices and and maybe not so great choices.
0: Almost like an MVP for CMOS. <laughs> Fantastic. In terms of growth and, and the competing interests with selling the same product or more of the same product and uh, the concept of this S curve where people are looking to get that next level of growth, what when's the, when do you th- sort of flag that? Look, we need a second product versus keeping on keeping on with that same product.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. I mean, obviously, it's going to depend on on business. So there are going to be some businesses like let's say you were in the taxi industry you're comfortable for 40 years and then and then one day Uber comes to town and suddenly you no longer have product market fit you're you're no longer the only way to get from the airport to the hotel comfortably or whatever it might be and so one of the things is continuously monitoring your product market fit and if you and and that's where I that question that I mentioned earlier just asking your customers on a regular basis whether it's quarterly biannually or monthly, if you're an early stage startup and you're trying to get to product market fit, you're going you're to be asking the question really with every release to a different group of users. But for, for more established companies, maybe quarterly is okay. And just asking a different group of users each quarter, how would you feel if you could no longer use our product? And being able to track, if you're, if you're at 60% of your users saying they'd be very disappointed without your product, and then over time, you're seeing that go 40%, 30%. It means alternatives are emerging on the market and you either need to take your product and, and start innovating pretty quickly to differentiate yourself from all of those alternatives or you need a second product to try to address your, um, your, your lost sales that you would have had. And so I, there's one company that I interviewed out of London that I, I was really impressed with on this and it's, it's a company called Resi. And um, there, I, I interviewed their CEO, and one of the things that she did. So they they basically have this platform for residential architecture, and so there's a lot of pieces to that. So you could you could essentially build a very complex big pro- product to to kind of deal with all. If you're, I'm I'm actually building a house right now, so it really touched home with me. But of all of the services from contractors to architects to you know, all the different providers to, um, you know, designers and marketplaces for that and all those things, you could, you could spend years building something that could scratch the surface there. But what, what um, Resi did was that they, they said, what's the biggest problem in here? Let's build a really tight product around that. And once they had that dialed in, they normally what you see in startups is that you have this team that sort of finds product market fit, And then slowly they get marginalized or replaced by the operators. Now we can afford the really experienced operators. And then, so, you know, those are the people who start complaining, oh, it's not the company I joined. This place used to be fun. Now it's just a bunch of numbers and operations. So she's found a really good way to reconcile that where she actually has that initial kind of discovery group is always developing the next extension of the opportunity that she originally set out to solve. So as soon as they dial in product market fit in a new area, then now you put the ops people on fulfilling that opportunity. And so she's, she's constantly taking kind of, uh, I, I say this as, as an ADD person, but kind of the ADD group that gets bored really quick with the, with the operation side of things, they get to be explorers all the time and figuring out that next opportunity. And then the operations people that get scared to death of the uncertainty of the exploration side, they get to build the predictability of an operations kind of of a proven business. And so I think that's one good model there of constantly building out that, that next good opportunity. But you know, I mean, it's, it's really, for, for her, it's kind of from day one, she had this vision that, that's a multi-step vision. For other businesses, it's maybe more of an insurance policy that my core business might be going away but i I've, I've definitely when i was at LogMeIn, um we we eventually got to the point where we had six or seven different products and every new product that came out distracted me from the core product and i i had a hard time of kind of how do i personally focus on this how do i delegate teams and move them around and i i really didn't scale very well with that situation and you know that was 15 years ago now so hopefully Hopefully, if you put me back in there now, I might be able, you know, with, with the same one challenges.
0: Crack, you know, want, one more bracket
1: <laughs> Yeah, maybe I'd be able to navigate them a little better. I think the, the other side of it is that I would know that's not what I like to do. My favorite stage is to get in right on a business that has achieved product market fit and take them through that inflection point of figuring out how do we, how do we now fulfill the, the uh you know, potential that's been created by this new product that's really scratching in a real itch out there or even more important than an itch but it's solving a real pain that's out there. And so that's that's the sweet spot that I like to focus on so I probably wouldn't go back but, but it just does show that I as we were more successful, I got increasingly out of my comfort zone as, as we got into the sort of operationalizing a bunch of new products.
0: I think that's bloody awesome to be honest. I mean you've described when you've got product market fit, how to keep an eye on it, also um, when the right time for a second product is. But I know that our listeners, and I've heard so many VCs describe product market fit, and it's easy to explain what or, or say when you've got it, but it's another thing in describing it or having that playbook to find it. Um, and I know you, you were happy to share some of your wisdom on that, and we might come back to that at the end of the podcast. Growth hacking would be incomplete without stories. Um, You're an analytics, data and marketing expert, but how soon and how do you weave in the story and how important is that to get all of that sort of in sync? And and, and can you maybe weave that into an example for us?
1: It can be important for early in the business. I think it's really important for kind of building that early team. But the challenge is, that so often your original vision ends up being super different from what the successful business looks like. So PayPal, the ultimate example, you know, started as a security for PDA and then beaming payments PDA eventually to the, to the PayPal that we know today. And so the problem is that, that if you build a story and build recognition of that story and, and, you know, get press and the momentum around that, and then it changes significantly. It's really hard to retell that story another way. And so for me, I would tend to layer the story on the back end of validating that people who, who even if it's really inefficient, how we've acquired, you know, so maybe, maybe that the first group of people costs five times more than we'll ever be able to generate revenue from them. But we know we nailed it for them. So then, then it's how do, how do we cut their costs you know, of acquisition by by 10 times or 100 times so that we know we can profitably grow that market. So, you know, being really efficient and telling a story that creates a lot of demand and interest, if it's, if it's not based on something that the product truly delivers well on that really matters to those people, it's it's not going to matter. So I think what you start to see is companies like, um, like uh, Airbnb or, uh, or eBay a lot of times the, the, the story that you hear about those companies are, are almost, are almost um, adjusted after they figure out the business and then, and then it's a narrative that overlays it nicely and there's probably a few tweaks to what the real story was and, but it's probably close enough that it's not like a total lie and made up but, it, but it's one of those things that, that the narrative needs to ultimately support what the product's great at.
0: So, final question. Let's say you lost everything tomorrow using just the lessons you've learned. What would you do next and how would you rebuild?
1: Uh, I would probably go out and seek a product that has you know, early product market fit. And as long as I had a really you know, good chemistry with the, with the team, you know, if, if you don't like the people you're working with, then that's <laughs> life's too short for that. So I'd rather just go on food stamps, um, but, uh, <laughs> but assuming that I, that, you know, I, I would just be seeking what's that, what's that product that has some really passionate users on it. And knowing that if, if the product has some passionate users on it, particularly if, if they've raised a little bit of venture capital, so a venture capitalist did some market sizing to believe that, that, this investment could pay back a million or 5 million or however many millions of dollars that they've put in it, then, you know, market sizing is a pretty hard exercise a lot of times. So I like to take that combination of, of venture capital to, to validate that they think the market's big enough with even just a single person that says, Oh my God, I can't live without this product. And then from there, hopefully a handful of people that say I can't live without this product. And then it comes down to execution. I'd have a lot of confidence in my ability to connect the dots on a big market and the product and the people who are already passionate about it. But it, but it's a lot about just learning every single thing I can about those people. What were they doing before? How did they find the product? And just doubling down on the things that seem to be working. And as well as you know testing to fill in all of my other assumptions on what what the successful business is going to look like. And, and over time, taking a fairly foggy picture to one that, that crystallizes as as you build in the facts around the initial set of guesses that, that I, I started with.
0: One of the things you, you very graciously said you'd do, you'd share with us later, um, these seven questions that... Um, uh, you can't possibly mentor everyone in the world, Sean, um, but the seven questions that you ask yourself or you would ask people when you meet them about growth. And, and really, obviously, they can read this book, and I highly encourage that they do this and sign up to your podcast. Um, but that seven questions, I'm, I'm sure, which is the, the foundation of this podcast, which is saying, what are the right questions to ask so you can go faster and make less mistakes? So I really appreciate that. Sean, thank you very much for joining us on Sanity Check today. It's been an absolute pleasure pleasure speaking with you if this guy doesn't know how to grow your business nobody does and i just think you're a superstar
1: excellent well thank you that was that was fantastic
0: i hope you've enjoyed today's episode i did but hey it's not about me if you found it helpful we're only warming up so if you've got a friend or a colleague who you think needs a sanity check do them a solid and share this with them And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could give it a review. This will help us reach more people and make sure we get it right for you. I'm David Kenny, and I'll be back in your ears next week for another sanity check and done.